Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we like to talk about the things weighing on our minds. Uh, my name's Don Marshall. I'm a big chubby guy living here in sunny Hollywood, and I am your Nat 20 of talk show hosts today. Because <laughs> we're just that good. <laughs> and poor Dan, Dan is staring me with a blank look. <laughs> no, I, I use the Rolodex of my mind to quickly figure out what the hell is that? Uh, my name is Dan Oliverio. I'm an author, public speaker, and card-carrying chubby chaser. And I'd just like to remind everyone out there that, yes, your Christmas tree can be used in January as a lamp. Uh, oh, okay. Does that involve just lighting it on fire? Like, no, no, no. It just means you haven't. we haven't taken it down yet. I'm staring right at it. It, it casts light around the room, yes. illuminating everybody in twinkles. It's so festive and yuletide D D D D. <laughs> I'm Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chump living here in West Hollywood. Uh, I'm 30 feet above Dan right now. And um, uh, I, there's a whole lot going on in our introductions. So I'll say um, I'm a, I don't know, right now I'm a net one in my little tummy. Oh, <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm playing through that little unfortunate role. <laughs> So if you hear a round of uh, people doing impressions from Blazing Saddles, that's just Trevor. Right <laughs> a famous bean scene reenacted just for you. And my name is Michael. <laughs> I am a chaser. And uh, I think I'm also kind of a, a nat one this year. I'm the crit fail. How about that? I'm the crit fail. I'm, you, you swung and you miss and you hit yourself in the head. Um, it's, been a, it's been, I have to say, I don't know that I expected 2020 to, or 2021 to start off all that great, but it has been a shit start to the year. It really has. Michael, well, it's, a- it's just a 2020 is refusing to abdicate in favor of 2021. It's We're, refusing is, to leave. Yeah, we uh, have I believe March it's filed a couple lawsuits. 247. <laughs> we have nine more months of uh, 2020. Yeah, I think <laughs> it might be 2021, oh. somewhere around July or August. Yeah. Right. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome Sick. to the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Yeah, why? Thank you, John. January third. <laughs> well, let's dive on in, shall we? Into oh, let's yeah. do dive some some Sploosh. pop culture, um, which I'm actually I don't know I I'm excited about this one because it's uh, it was a really interesting article. Oh, about uh, Nancy Redman. Yeah. Um, so the New York Times had an article about Nancy Redman, who was was a pioneer of plus size fashion, uh, who unfortunately passed away this uh, in at the end of 2020. But she opened uh, a series of upscale plus size clothing boutiques called The Forgotten Woman Mm -hmm. um, starting in 1977. And they kind of opened across the country before ultimately closing in, it was like 95. It had a good run. And she, I think the coolest part for me was that she was reaching out to designers to convince them to start designing clothes for plus size women and was able to get them to to make custom clothing that she could then sell in her store mm. and she went from the one store in new york to what like 40 across the country uh i think it was specifically 33 which just 33 know, stuck out in my head because it's i don't know it's a cool number 33 it's two threes <laughs> um i yeah. think my favorite part of the article which i just thought was I don't know, kind of fun and i could kind of just i don't know visualize was uh, the boutiques had a sugar daddy bar for the female shoppers, yeah. male companions, that uh, had <laughs> Corbel champagne, tea sandwiches, and miniature muffins. For the men who were needed to be entertained while their wives shopped? Is that why? Yes. Yeah. I see. Yeah. That's clever. To make it a pleasant experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. Lovely. It makes sense. <laughs> I mean, you would need that product everywhere if there was no other 
outlet for it. Mm-hmm. You know, to this day, I'm still sort of surprised that online shopping has replaced the big and tall store. There are so few big and tall stores around that, like, and catalog is nice, but like maybe two thirds of the clothes fit properly. Well, and something that we discovered is that when you go into a big and tall store, like if you go into the DXL Rochester in Beverly Hills, you're going to find loads of stuff that is beautiful, but not in the catalog because it's not, it's something that I don't know how the local store acquired it, but it's some really high end stuff for their market in Beverly Hills that you would never see, you know, it's not part of the black, brown Navy uniform that you see over and over and over again in a lot of the big boy catalogs. Hmm. When I moved to L.A., there was one big and tall store in West Hollywood, uh, right on Fairfax. Oh, I remember that. It was a mom and pop shop. It like was. two old Italian guys that would like hobble up to you when he came and like, what do you want? What do you want? What size do you need? <laughs> Yay, they, we got something that'll fit your ass. That's right. and, uh, but they had great stuff that like I've never seen before or since. And it, it kills me that they they went away. Um, So we talked uh, we guessed a few episodes ago about what uh, the the movies Godmothered and The Prom might be like uh, before they had come out, and we've now had a chance to watch those movies and kind of give our our reactions. Um, so, did I, I don't I actually never got to Godmother. I did watch The Prom, but uh, Trevor and Dan, you guys got to watch that, didn't you? Yeah, Trevor, yes. do you want to start? So, I I don't know. I went in with very low expectations for godmothered because i mean the trailers it was like okay this probably isn't gonna be great it's also technically a christmas movie it's a disney plus original movie so that kind of like all these things kind of i'm like okay lower your expectations (laughs) um (laughs) don't get too excited i ended up really enjoying it um i mean it's i think jillian bell is the best part of the movie playing the godmother and also has jane Curtin, who is you know amazing I guess what I would say is that the I can't tell if it was a production problem or just who let you make this because the writing and plotting is terrible. But absolutely. Uh, Is it Kristen Bell? What's her name? Jillian Bell. Jillian Bell. Jillian Jillian Bell Bell is absolutely wonderful and a delight to watch. As far as Sudan was saying production issues. So we looked up at the end because I don't really think this counts as a spoiler. The ending sequence is animated which felt a little weird because it's like oh okay like i guess like it was cute it was a cute style but i'm like oh this is just an interesting thing and i was as i was watching it i'm like i wonder if they had to animate the ending because of covid production issues which that is the exact case they ran into but they had issues with filming because of covid and i think that is why there are some moments in the movie that just don't add up like it just it feels like they're like you missed something but I think it's because they missed filming a scene and they're like, we can make it work without this yeah. brief exchange. There are a couple storylines in there that I felt sort of just what? sort of petered out yeah. or <laughs> were missing beats. Yeah. Again, I was assuming the same thing. I watched uh, a friend of mine suggested I watch this uh, golfing mini golf reality show called Holy Moly, <laughs> where they apparently fil- finished filming all of the golf stuff before COVID but then had none of the background stuff. Mm. So all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, it just kind of lapses into animation every once in a while when they're (laughs) interviewing people or they're talking to folks so they could pretend Mm. that they're in the same room uh, as opposed to 
doing it over the phone or something. It wow. it was weird. It was weird. Yeah. So I I agree. I felt sort of fine with the yeah. movie. Um. It it had no to me. It had no connection to body issues at all. No. Um, like which was the, actually uh, kind of nice. I I I like yeah. that yeah. it was. She was just fat. There were no fat jokes. Mm-hmm. It was just well, and she's in a bodice, which is really d- defining her shape. And it's not about that. Like it really mm-hmm. is. It, it, it she's Hollywood fat to begin with. So you know, yeah. And then she's in a bodice. So mm-hmm. it's it's everything is contoured and there's an artificial shape to it. But yeah, I mean, like I said, she's worth watching anytime. Yeah, I mean, I it's it's impossible not to point out that she is completely sexless in the movie. Yeah. Nobody ever looks at her as a sexual being or entity in any way, even mm-hmm. though she's in a couple different situations where people might or and, and she's quite lovely. But you have to remember, it's a Disney family friendly movie about a fairy godmother. So that's not really in the cards anyway. <laughs> Disney, yeah, I feel Disney like does that's not let more... the fairy godmother get it on. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah not I feel like laid. that's more part of the character yeah. than anything else. Mm-hmm. Although it does beg the question that if she, if they had like made her the sexy fairy godmother, like they did in the Cinderella live action remake, would that have still been the case in this story? Yeah. Like guys would have been admiring her at least. I feel if, if she I wonder, there. yeah, I wonder, yeah, if they would have done that. So we also took a look at the prom, uh, which is kind of a different, a different beast. Yeah, because there's a lot of baggage that came along with that movie. I'm I'm curious because my thing was I couldn't see anything in the previews for which, I mean the the scuttlebutt is that James Corden is getting absolutely and has gotten slaughtered in the press for I don't know existing, and especially in this movie, and, and I couldn't. I mean I I it's not a stellar performance but it's in totally in keeping with the rest of the performances there's nothing missing there in my opinion I don't know. don i think you had a stronger opinion about this than i did maybe i wasn't able to get through it i, I okay just... <laughs> <laughs> that says something. It, but i'm i am not going to say that it's about the movie i just wasn't clicking okay um I, I actually didn't even watch enough for me to say that I could make any sort of educated statement about it. I just, and it's just about I, the, the the concept. It's about the, the show, not the acting, not the production values. Yeah. And it, it's also the fact that this is based on a Broadway show that was made great by its cast and they just flushed the cast for the movie version. Absolutely. And I right. just I don't approve of that. Like, I agree. I'm, but it happens all the time. You know, it happens all the time. Movie musicals have suffered enormously because they keep casting non-singers. Mm hmm. For their star power, like I, it's, I still haven't gotten over Sweeney Todd. Right, it's one oh. of the most complicated, <laughs> elegant yeah. musicals of all time, and they cast a bunch of non-singers. Sasha Baron Cohen was the best singer in the damn movie. That says, and something. that's weird. <laughs> like that's weird. No, I I loathed. I mean, I'm not a big Tim Burton fan in the first place, and I loathed the film version of Sweeney Todd. Loathed it with every fiber. Uh, but I, I honestly, I can't think of a movie, movie musical where the film version is better. I, I just can't even into the woods. I just can't. Yeah. I, so I went into this kind of, I wouldn't say neutral per se, but I don't, I don't have it. I've never seen the show. I've never, I didn't really have any opinions. I just kind of sat down to watch it. And it's, I think the best, the clearest thing I can say about it is that it is a Ryan Murphy movie. Yes. If you... (laughs) It is the most Ryan Murphy that Ryan Murphy has ever been. Mm. And so if you can 
if you, if you liked Glee, if you like basically anything musical that Ryan Murphy's ever produced, you will enjoy this movie, I think, because it is it's it has that sound. Like have you ever like if you listened to anything produced that came out of Glee musically speaking, this sounds like that. Exactly. They have yes. some kind of modulation, some mixing technique, a way of compressing the voices so intensely that you you hear glee it's like it's from the same world gotcha. i was saying that to dan and that was part of why it was so i mean i don't blame I, after watching this i don't see like none of this is on james corden this is all right it's all ryan murphy's fault yeah, yeah exactly 100 <laughs> a ryan murphy um, film and the fact that and he I, he so he when he saw prom the musical in you know on broadway he left basically like okay i want to make this into a movie with meryl street nicole kidman and james corden well, and he says in yeah. that interview that he wanted to make it his movie and he very deliberately didn't want anybody who had anything to do with the original production. In fact, the woman who played the young lesbian on in, on Broadway had to request an audition and instead of casting her, they went out and found a complete unknown because that would be more Ryan's movie than somebody who'd done it on Broadway. Yeah. yeah. I, I understand I, the motive on his part. Oh, totally. But, mm-hmm. It's awful. It's awful. It's, yeah, it was I, the wrong I can't choice. Prove it. I can't. Yeah, I think he. I think if you want to, if you want to criticize this movie uh, harshly, blame it on Ryan Murphy. I can't because you don't like if you're James Corden and somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, there's this you know role and you love." Obviously, he loves musical theater, and he, you know, I wouldn't say he's got a particularly great voice, but he clearly has made it a part of his brand, and you get this opportunity to play this part. Um, I think we we've have kind of talked about this about like is it fair for a straight actor to take a gay role and like all of that stuff and we talked about that though when we brought this up the first episode around but I don't know I I didn't really like the movie all that much it's not the music I didn't particularly bond with I didn't really relate to any of the characters and I will still say the one emotional moment that they in a movie packed with sort of forced emotional beats the one that i actually resonated with and thought worked was in james corden's monologue about growing up gay Mm -hmm. it was very trite and it was expected but i thought he did a great job i agree i agree mm -hmm. i mean i it's hard to i don't think you can really fault him when clearly like he, from his perspective, he there's this famous like the top A-list Hollywood gay producer director is asking him to play a gay role. That feels, I'm sure, like permission yeah. to him. And so well, also at that the, point. And also Ryan, Mur- Ryan Murphy's gay. I mean, it's mm. not like. It, it's that's not, what I mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and he's produced some of the best gay content currently available. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah. Pose, Corden, Pose is life changing. It's a beautiful beautiful portrayal of gay life from a period a period yeah and he's he let's just make it clear i feel like you can criticize the product without criticizing the creative behind it like Mm -hmm. you know he made he made a misstep with this one but he's still putting out he is still definitely an ally of the community who's done some great work oh sure but and i would say in in support of michael's point not only is is james corden blameless in this like, as you know, you're the gay mega director tells you you should play this gay role and you're straight. You're not going to argue with them. But I would even go farther and say that it's not the actor's job to turn that down. I mean, maybe if you're Brad Pitt, you're not going to play in Boys in the Band. 
you know, maybe that's a bad idea. But but if you're Brad Pitt, you know that you have a brand, you have your own concerns. But if you're if you're in a class of, you know, where you're still where you're still acting for pay, acting for money, let's say, <laughs> which certain megastars are no longer doing, you know, like uh-huh. Keanu Reeves or Brad Pitt, like they, they don't act for money. I mean, they get paid, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. They just do what they want to do. They do what they want to do. So, but unless you're in that class, it is the director and the producer who are responsible for these choices. Yeah. I, I don't that. know entirely if I, I agree with that in that uh, the yellow face conspiracy, the yellow face discussion in Hollywood where mm-hmm. white actors are accepting all of these Asian roles and then getting Asianed by the makeup department or by the writer. Um, that I, I do think that's on the director and producer, but I also think it's on the actor for accepting. Like well, Scarlett Johansson needs to stop accepting right. Asian parts. <laughs> well, but but she's yeah. in that but she's in that category of where she gets to pick her own material after so many Marvel successes. Right. And she accepted yeah. Yeah, and the I'm, roles I'm against, where she played Asian. So people. I'm not, like, I'm not talking about stars of her caliber, of her of her echelon. I'm talking about where you have like James Corden and and the people below that, where they really are acting for pay. I I don't think James Corden is in that category. I think James Corden has had enough lead roles in movies, and he's the host of a major late night TV show. The man is not starving. No, you know. I, but I understand I think, what you're saying. Yes, an up and comer who is worried about where their next meal is coming. No blame. Well, here's a, I think the deeper question is, is it equivalent or at least moderately equivalent for somebody playing the wrong race versus somebody playing the wrong sexuality? Are those equivalent? Do, like, do you match those together? I I don't personally that. But that's me. I feel like everybody has the right to come to their own decision on that one. It's so complicated. I think it, not- I think it's complicated. And I think also it's. um I think it depends also really on the context of the like the what this story is and what this character is mm-hmm. um like you know people were up in arms with the the last terrible fantastic four movie that they <laughs> made um Johnny Storm black and it's like well yeah. you know historically they're siblings and they're white and it's just like and that is a a change where it's like that doesn't like it gives a black actor a job it makes the universe more diverse it's fine it, yeah it's fine whereas like if you're like okay well we're gonna make black panther white <laughs> i mean I yeah. don't, I, that's all i need to say with <laughs> exactly that. it's like that um well i mean even in crazy rich asians originally yeah. they wanted a white girl for that female lead because well the audience needs a way in and if they're all asian how will we know what we are how how will the white people relate yeah <laughs> you can see that in like uh orange is the new black right yeah is probably the best yes. vehicle for people of color stories in my generation probably but uh you know what they had to have the white lead they would well, not have gotten their funding without the mm-hmm. white lead. Which at this point is now almost gratuitous from what I understand. I don't follow the show, but from what I understand now, she's sort of a background character. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, show, the show's done. It's over. Yeah. Sure, but like but, by the last seasons, like, yeah, oh yeah the white girl. She's incidental. <laughs> it yeah. was, she became like, uh, Piper became basically like, filled the role that some of the black characters that came, became like the new stars of the show She's like, it's, oh, she has her wacky, like, C-plot in season four or whatever. <laughs> and, like, yeah. she she hangs, yeah. she pops in to be, like, check on everyone, like, almost like it's a spinoff where it's, like, don't worry, uh, B. Arthur's going to pop in to check in on 
the neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> but in general, I feel like the more sort of put upon the minority group that's being represented is in reality, the more distasteful it is when they cross cast the actor. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have agree. to admit, this is really on the forefront of my mind right now. And I'm going to plug it on the show because I want this other show to do well. Uh, tonight, I get to watch the first episode of The Watch, an oh. adaptation of Terry Pratchett's uh, Night Watch series which I'm, I can't even express how excited I am about. Uh, but about a third or a quarter of the characters have been cross-cast, uh, making them female, which, because the original book lacks female characters, it's a flaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't, it, it's not devoid of them, but they're an extreme minority. But when you're casting and putting on TV, it's nice to have more representations of multiple types of people. So uh, very much looking forward to it. Um, nice. Just I, I, one more thing I want to say about the prompt. So you know the 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 reason we initially brought it up is because there was all this outrage at Corden's performance of a gay man. Which I don't know. It was it, once again, it, as Dan said, it was in line with the rest of the acting in the movie. Yeah, but I will say so. Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. Oh yeah, <laughs> has two kind of two gay characters who work in the hair song and played by gay men and i was more offended at that performance (laughs) of like these swishy gay like you know voguing stylists who faint when christine bransky serves them an eviction notice and how they're just kind of treated (laughs) almost like i feel like you could replace them with like dogs and tutus who walk on their hind legs and they would fulfill the same function it was it was just a i was like this is bad but it's like it's gay actors but i'm this offends me. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, because nobody nobody bats an eye about that because the actors are gay and the roles are, you know, functionally gay. But James Corden, I mean, it, but James Corden's getting shit. It makes no sense. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Check, check out those movies and let us know what you think. Do we want to do we want to mention however briefly the James Corden? Oh, fuck. WWE. I forgot about that. I uh, blocked that <laughs> into my room. So. <laughs> I got, uh, I don't even know. I was reading an article. It was about like some clickbait comic book movie thing, probably on Facebook. And I got an ad in the middle of the article for James Corden promoting Weight Watchers, which I just immediately was like, ah, uh, um, and screen yeah. captured and sent to everyone. And then Michael got uh, a James YouTube Corden ad. I was watching some video and in the middle of the video popped up with James Corden addressing you know, do you, you know, this year we're going to make the year that we're going to live mindfully and healthily and, and you take this journey with me and we'll do it together. Mm. And they, they didn't exactly frame it around weight loss, but it's fucking Weight Watchers as a WW. Yeah, WW. And, uh, <laughs> obviously, that's the goal. Like if you if you take if you're on WW and you gain weight, but you're living mindfully, I don't think you've achieved what they consider to be a goal or like the right goal. I think so, the word you're looking for, Michael, is you failed. Right. <laughs> if you if you're healthier, if your blood work is better, but you've actually gained weight, you've still failed in their eyes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the and, lettuce. Yeah, he is. Fart. That's the uh... internet fart in our face. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, did you know? Because Oprah did this not so long ago, and I wonder if that. I mean, she's Oprah. She's kind of untouchable, but I wonder, did that have an effect on her career? Did she? I mean, it's it's just so interesting going from Oprah to James Corden. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think she is kind of untouchable, but 
Uh, she's certainly slipped up, though. I, I wouldn't say she's infallible. I just think that the position she holds in the public eye is is kind of you know, like she's she's the gold standard for mm-hmm. a role model, and people don't. I don't think people are going to pave over that anytime soon. And I wonder how many other celebrities Weight Watchers asked who passed on this before they got to James Corden. I am. Yeah, I'd be curious. Because I mean, I, he could have been their first choice, but, you know, probably not. I feel like he's a better get than most of the people they've had in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, Oprah, you can't beat Oprah. You they can't had beat Oprah. Oprah. Yeah. I mean, that's not going to get any better. But <laughs> who was the last one they had? Uh, it was like uh, Kirsty Alley was the for one a while, for a while. It was Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer Hudson. Oh, yeah. was it? Oh, I never saw Jennifer Hudson. Yeah, Jennifer was. Hudson was, I think it was Weight Watchers. It might have been a different one, but I thought it was Weight Watchers. Well, it, and it's kind of a coup that it's a fat man. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Have we, has there ever been a fat man repping Weight Watchers? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that they is... have had men in commercials where they've had multiple people attesting and testifying. Okay, so I'm never, I'm, never as the center. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that as body positivity, for better or for worse, expands into straight male culture, that it's actually a win to see fat men showing up in these commercials because it actually shows them as part of, it it includes them in the fat oppression universe. Like it actually, like the same reason that we exist as a podcast is the same reason that James Corden is getting cast in the Weight Watchers commercial. They're linked. Hmm. It's, it's, It's that it's finally recognized that that fatness touches straight men. You're not putting this on us, Dan. <laughs> no, I don't mean that at all. I just, no, I know. He, he kind, I know. You kind of say, I mean, in, in the thing that like, Trevor, you're always saying like, well, it's something, you know, it's, it's, it's two steps yeah. forward, two steps back. You know? <laughs> this is the worst. It's something yet. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is I think it's a coup that Weight Watchers has a straight man repping the brand. We've never seen that. And I don't think it's random. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I guess I, th- I agree with Trevor, though. That's the worst. It's something. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure I disagree. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 but I guess I don't know. I just I find that remarkable. I find that an it interesting is it movie. is remarkable, but just still like, <laughs> oh, that's the monkey um, paw. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, bigger gain, bigger disappointment. Right? <laughs> uh, all right. Well. We've gone on long enough about... It's a new year, so it's a new forecast. Uh, So it's Fat Watch 2021. (laughs) Is it the same music? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Okay. Unless you find something, I don't know, more like... I I mean, the way I like to think about uh, Fat Watch 2021 is like, there's always kind of like the vague storm watches at the start of mm-hmm. hurricane season and then it becomes something else once they start naming the hurricanes and you know they're descending upon uh florida okay <laughs> um <laughs> so you know <laughs> 2021 is still really 2020 which you know if uh 2020 was a state it would be florida <laughs> <laughs> um oh that's uh, a terrible thing but, to say about 2020. <laughs> we're yeah. gonna kick it off with this article that actually don sent to us um mm-hmm. uh, mary, about mary weissman kind of uh clapping back to some uh trolls who is mary weissman trevor she is uh what is i what is her I think title don should set up yeah don is. don set up he's the expert 
She is Ensign Tilly from Star Trek Discovery. Um, this is interesting because she is again. I I would say she's she's barely even pushing Hollywood fat. She's mm-hmm. just a normal bodied woman. Uh, which we you know these jumpsuits they give you on Star Trek can be somewhat unforgiving, but she's the only person of size of any kind I can ever think of of seeing on Star Trek. Yep, that mm-hmm. wasn't a. Mm-hmm. The pack led race, which we've touched on before, of the incredibly <laughs> stupid, virtually yeah. mentally handicapped, yeah, uh, alien race of obese people of obese men. Oh, the fat, stupid people. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, she is not a large woman, but she has been body shamed pretty consistently on, on Twitter and elsewhere by Star Trek fans. Um, let me, Wait, let me... a fandom is treating somebody terribly? Well, I, I think it's more than just that, because yeah. I bet you if it was a man that size, I don't think there'd be nearly this kerfuffle. Oh, no. No, probably not. But um, thanks to James Corden, that might be changing yeah. soon. Right? So, you, you, see, you see the good he's doing? <laughs> um, Dan, I know you're and a big I'm fan sad of now. hers. I'm a huge fan of I, I, and I of love this character and of Discovery. Oh, you do, Trevor? Oh, yes. Yeah, nice. I want. I hate her. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually looking to see um, if there are any Ensign Tilly action figures, um, but there's not. People are there's some uh, custom ones that people made that are like, eh, yeah, it looks like her. <laughs> <laughs> Squint really hard. Yeah. So what did she say to these haters? What happened? What's the rest of the story? Go, Dan. Go, Dan. No, you know this so much better than I was just no. going to talk about Star Trek Discovery and Mary Weissman, but I think you, you, you actually know the story. I mean, so I, should, I have the should... quote right here. So Okay, good. Um, okay. So she said, I'm a person, I have a history, and bullying is totally part of that. Bullying? So it has yeah. been hard. It has been hard to avoid because it props up on social media accounts or people comment on my posts and with cruel, unscientific comments. And then she also kind of, uh, so this was in an interview, and then she kind of had a like a statement for people who've kind of rose to the occasion defending her. And she said, uh, I love you all. And all of you are perfect as designed. All of us deserve to occupy space, whether it's at work or in public or in a starship. I'm proud to be here and I'm proud to wear my skin tight costume and proud of my body. And I belong. Wonderful. That's so wonderful. nice. Mm-hmm. And so important. She does. I mean, the show is revolutionary in many ways. We could talk about that thematically and 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 the plots and things like that. But just this character, and you can see mm-hmm. that by the fan mail, by how people react to her. Uh, it's a whole different presence in the Star Trek franchise. Would you agree, Don? Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. You know, this is the first show. Enterprise tried to give us human characters for the first time. <laughs> but Enterprise was Enterprise. Yeah. Uh, Star Trek Discovery is actually good. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it's in no small part because they have actors and char- actors like, uh, like, like her and characters like the one she's playing that are not only deeply flawed, but flawed, but flawed in ways that are familiar to us. Right. Like, I know the insecurity of that character. I know where a lot of her issues come from. And I get it. As opposed to some of the prior characters we've seen where it's like, I'm lonely because I'm so good at what I do. It puts me apart from everyone. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> fuck you. Well, but Star Trek yeah. from from the old right from the old generate from the old show to especially the first few seasons of Next Generation specialized in this sort of larger than life nobility. Like they're yeah. so noble they can barely breathe. 
And mm. and it's not that these characters are messier. They're just, as Don says, they're so much more human. Yeah. And that is the writing on the show in particular is fantastic because it gets into this nitty gritty. It gets into those human questions yeah. and questions of ethnicity and gender and and um, belonging in and, a way that no yeah. show has ever done, especially in the Star Trek universe. And here's a th- one of the reasons why I think Discovery has had some backlash from the old school Star Trek fans. Which is these they they claim these people are not as noble. They're not as Star Trekky as the ones we've seen before. I completely disagree. <laughs> they are every bit as noble. The difference is that in this version of the show, nobility comes at a cost. And we see the cost that they pay when they try and live up to their higher ideals. Well said. Well said. Because yeah. in the past they were so noble they were Greek statues. Yeah. There was never <laughs> anything they were just so good and so in the right always. Yeah. That there is no price for standing up for what's right. In this, sometimes the right thing is ugly yep. and the right thing is not easy and it's not going to be good for you to go through with, but they do. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that enormously. It, to me, it gives it far more depth. I, I haven't really watched much Star Trek, so I'm, I'm nodding and agreeing and <laughs> I'm very happy for all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor, what is this, uh, this last piece that you've got for us in the Fat, the fat Watch? Um, so the last thing I found for Vet Watch, um, we've talked about Mark Centimbrino before, uh, who mm-hmm. uh, operates Fat Kid Yoga, Fat Kid Yoga Club. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he shared this post that I thought was important to share, uh, especially just kind of in these times of like New Year, uh, diet culture, New Year's resolution stuff. Um, and so he posted this on Instagram and it's uh, he shared it in his story, but then he also shared it uh, in his regular feed and says, no one owes you health, especially fat people. Let's chill out with a good fatty healthism. If you're unhealthy, you're valid as fuck, and I'll fight for your dignity. And then he says, uh, he goes on to say in the, the kind of caption, um, no one is healthy 100% of the time. 2020 taught us that if you already didn't know it. Fat people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect regardless of their health status. Sick and chronically ill, disabled folks deserve medicine and empathy regardless of how much they weigh. Let's celebrate all bodies unconditionally in 2021. Um, hmm. And I just thought that was really important right now, especially like, you know, here in California, we're seeing just hospitals surging. And they've said, you know, we're basically at the point where we're going to have to start deciding who gets care and who doesn't based on their health, um, which has been, the, I, I, I think we're still not quite there, but we're basically right at the the brink. And thankfully it looks like numbers are going down a little bit um but this has been the concern um and i've seen a lot of this kind of in the the fat acceptance community um in disability advocacy in kind of uh the like people with chronic health issues all talking about this that you know every body matters yeah and i think even just within uh you know the world of body positivity there's a lot of um you know well, as long as you're healthy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's great. Is, as long as you're healthy. But they don't mean that. They never yeah. mean that. What they mean is, because what's what's behind that is, well, you know, you may be healthy now by some measures like, you know, medical tests, but we all know that you're going to pay for it, fatty. We all know you're going to pay for mm-hmm. it someday. And they, and they, they lick their chops. I, the thing I want to put across, this is a drum I beat all the time, especially in, in my work, is that it is never ever about health 
someone who is, this is never about health because you could have the cleanest blood work in the world and it's still, well, okay, well then you just be careful. Like it's never about health. It's about blame. It's about, yeah. see, because nobody is out there trying to save, nobody is out there berating people with cancer because like, oh, they got sick, they got lung cancer and they really should have done better. No one's out there doing that because they don't blame those people for their cancer, but they blame people for being fat and they link fat with disease and therefore they blame the health, they blame ill health on fat people. And being fat is the only condition where you get blamed for getting sick. If you're, if you're my size and you get sick, you just got sick. If you're a fat person size and get sick, well, well you really should have done better, shouldn't you? And it's about blame. And mm. that's what drives me crazy. Yeah. But it's James Corden's going to fix all that. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because, you know, he's going to be healthier and, and by which he means smaller. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought a good way to end our first uh, Fat Watch would be some inspiring words from our very own Lizzo um, to have us... Uh, at least in in her own way, sort of frame 2020 and take us into 2021 on a good note. Um, she posted on Instagram and probably other places on New Year's Eve the following. <clears throat> very, very stunning picture of herself standing like in front of the night sky with Los Angeles in the background and like she's posing in this really stunning outfit. And she wrote, I saw somewhere, if you ain't find your hustle this year, then the hustle ain't in you. Now, this year wasn't given to us in the form of an incubator for growth. If you found growth, I'm proud of you. If you found yourself shrunken, I'm proud of you. Because this year was about survival. And everyone reading this post is a survivor. And that means that the hustle is definitely in you. Celebrate yourself safely and lovingly. That's beautiful. Yay. <sighs> How lovely. Okay, well, the bit this week, uh, since we are moving into the new year, and one of the subjects we talked about as a potential episode focus was uh new year's resolutions or more importantly how to how to make uh plans healthily for yourself i thought i would celebrate this by bringing to you three examples of plans that did not go so well <laughs> <laughs> this first one is going to be i'm going to describe a product to you and then i'm going to give you three hints over time and you'll have to guess what product i'm talking about mm -hmm. all right uh, Do razor, we buzz, in? buzz in when you think you know what it is. Okay. A Japanese company launched a product that they thought would change the world in the mid 1970s, but quickly found themselves against another company's product in the market. Since their product was simply superior, uh, the Japanese companies was simply superior, providing better resolution, sound, and stability, they trusted the public to invest in their system because buzz. unquestionably of buzz. a higher quality. The plan failed. And their product became one of the most notorious product rollout flops of all time. What was the product? Okay, before the hints are even given, I've got a hand from Dan. Yes. Digimon. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm uh, Betamax. Betamax yes. is correct. From Sony. <laughs> The uh, fucking arrogant pricks. <laughs> well, I mean, sorry, I, I don't like Sony. <laughs> well, the product know, was actually superior in just about every way. The one flop was that it didn't run as long. And, well, and Sony insists, this is the whole identity of their company, is that they insist on existing in their own ecosystem. And if you want to use a Sony product, you must buy other Sony products and you cannot make it work with anything else. Uh -oh. And so they insisted <laughs> upon using their stuff within their own ecosystem. And if you didn't have it already, it didn't work for you. I'm so glad I have Apple and that never happens. 
Uh, shock and surprise I also don't really like Apple either but that's just me <laughs> interesting side note they kept making bad Betamax tapes long after Betamax machines were produced they had they to. only stopped can you guess when they stopped making them 2000 2018 oh my God. whoa what yes they very recently stopped producing the tapes. Holy shit. I wonder if they like stopped in 2000, but they had so many backlogged in warehouses that they said, we'll keep, we'll keep selling them. What the hell? I can't remember if we said this, but the, the alternative was VHS, right? Co that correct. was the, yeah, yeah. yeah. So VHS was the one that took off. And so, but, but I always yeah. wondered that, is that the reason the VHS had market dominance because you could use it in an A machine? I mean, that wasn't. There some, are a couple yeah. different reasons why they thought, yeah, it was a format war. And more people went with VHS for a couple different reasons, including for money reasons, primarily. It was cheaper. But the two big reasons that are attributed to it is one, longer running time for VHS cassettes. And two, greater access to porn on VCRs. Oh, well, that's, that's <laughs> important. Yep. That's important. <laughs> the porn factor should not be ignored. And longer porn, apparently. apparently. <laughs> Bigger, longer, right. less cut. Uh, the next two are multiple choice. All right. This plan is actually uh, from The Romance of the Three Kingdoms, a fiction, a Chinese fiction. However, mm. it is based on actual events. In The Romance of the Three Kingdoms, a massive army was marching on the city of Xiching. Uh, sorry for the pronunciation. Despite being filled with competent, well-equipped soldiers led by a very competent general, the army arrived at the city and promptly retreated without a single drop of blood being spilled. What did they see when they arrived at the city? One, three men on three different towers that appeared to be throwing lightning down at the ground. The attackers <gasps> fled, suspecting dark magic was being used to defend the city. Two, they found the gates wide open, no soldiers or weapons at all, only a smiling old man playing the lute. <laughs> Suspecting a devastating trap, they fled. David Carradine, huh? Okay. Three, the defenders seemed to be made up entirely of well-armed but completely naked women. The attackers withdrew out of discomfort and confusion. Or four. Oh, oh there's four. Dead animals falling from the sky. Oh, dear. The defenders had slaughtered livestock about a week before the attackers arrived and used siege engines to drop the riding carcasses on their head and in the river, poisoning the water supply. The attackers fled for fear of plague and probably out of disgust. Buzz. Trevor. I see a hand from Trevor. I'm going to say the first one. Three men <laughs> on three different towers that appear to be throwing lightning down at the ground. Yes. I Okay. I'm, huh. I'm going for naked women, and I think the the lobbing dead animals that that happened in France. That was <laughs> that, that was Carcassonne. <laughs> I thought that happened in Monty Python's Holy Grail. It, it did, but it was that's because it's French. <laughs> it was Carcassonne. Okay, so we have one for lightning. We have two for we have one for naked women. Michael, what are you going with? I, I just to be a contrarian, uh, I'm going to go for the man playing the lute. With it. <laughs> we have one for a lone old man playing the lute. And the correct answer is, in fact, a lone old man playing the lute. <gasps> no. What? Yes. This is That's actually awesome. been. This is actually now one of the. I think it's the thirty-eight Chinese strategies of war, and it's called <laughs> the empty the empty fort defense, oh. where you present your neck to the enemy, at which point the enemy will assume you've got an ambush set up and leave. That's genius. And it's actually been used <laughs> several times through history. It's reverse if, psychology. If only yep. Sony had thought of that with their Betamax. <laughs> <laughs> so a well a well planned are an army's well planned uh, attack gone to pot because they stationed an old man with a loot at the front door. 
Um, anyone who's watched Kung Fu movies, ripped. by the way, knows you, if you find an unarmed, smiling old man, flee. Just flee. <laughs> it's, it's like that scene from well Kung Fu Hustle where he's trying to pick people out of the crowd that look weak and piddling. And then yeah. like the old man stands up and he's like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> built, like ripped. I love that. So <laughs> Why does this sound like a video movie. game? <laughs> Have you because not it's seen basically Kung Fu a video game. Dan? Of course oh, not. It's such I don't even know movie. what that is. Oh. Is it a movie? It is, oh, it's so good. One of the funniest movies ever to come out of China. It is freaking brilliant with great martial arts sequences. All right. Third question. John Narr, a stand-up comic and performance artist, founded The Best Party in 2009 when Iceland was in total economic upheaval after <gasps> bankers and international business interests bankrupted their country. That's right. Yeah. They promised such exciting things as... To increase transparency by being openly corrupt rather than hiding it. (laughs) (laughs) Free towels at all public pools, a polar bear in the National Zoo, and to not even try to fulfill any of their campaign promises. (laughs) In short, they were founded as a joke. Despite this, in 2010, they won the majority of seats in the Reykjavik City Council, (laughs) putting them in charge of Iceland's largest city and giving them a huge amount of influence over Iceland's national government. Oh, God. And that's how we got Donald Trump. (laughs) This resulted in, one, they declared war on Vik, a small Icelandic fishing village with about 400 people in it. Two, they attempted to have the bankers rounded up and publicly executed. What? Three. Four years of wildly successful, massive political reconstruction after which the best party declared success and disbanded. (laughs) Or four, they successfully managed to trick Russian bankers to miss a single owed payment to the city and immediately foreclosed on all their Icelandic interests, managing to erase nearly a third of Reykjavik's debt. Oh, man. I I want to go for D, the the tricking the Russians. Tricking the Russians? Because I know... I, I know what their solution was is what was basically to say, fuck all y'all. We're not going to pay it. So maybe it was four. I don't know. Okay. So we got two for four. I think the so. uh, tricking Russian bankers, Trevor, um, I'm going to say C four years of wildly successful, massive political reconstruction. Well, they yes? did have that. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the correct answer. No, 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 no war on Vic. What's wrong with you people? All right. <laughs> the correct answer is in fact, C. Four ah. years of wildly successful oh massive political reconstruction. What ended up happening was they they got into office and then all of these people who are really great minds and good at what they did, but who would never go into politics, were willing to work with them ra- rather than mm-hmm. politicians. So they had this influx of new blood into the government that was competent. Right. What? Uh, and but un- unfettered by any sort of political associations. And on top of it, John Narr, this stand-up comic dude, uh, provided so much media cover for them by doing this ridiculous, over-the-top uh, event. Like he appeared in drag on a interview for no apparent reason, uh, dressing as clowns as a clown on several events. Like everyone just focused on how ridiculous he was. That oh. nobody paid attention to the actual work the party was doing. Genius. Until it was too late. And they actually succeeded in fixing a lot of shit. Oh, that's genius. And when they disbanded, they actually had succeeded in most of what they kind of set out to do. But they gave birth to the Bright Party, which is now in Iceland, continuing the good work. Wow. There is a a book written by John Narr that goes through all this that is a brilliant piece of material. Very worth reading if any of you have any interests. So 
there you go. A failed joke becomes a serious political movement that ends up fixing a lot of problems. Uh, it's like how, the inverse come, of what's happening here. I know. I was just about that. How come we had a how come we had a political joke that savaged the country? Yeah. <laughs> what do you feel about uh, what what sort of plans have you set up that failed? <laughs> I'd love to hear about them. Where might they tell us about that, Trevor? Well, <laughs> what well, are we going to do? The question of the week. Oh, I forgot oh, the question. Yeah, of the good week. point. It's uh, where things is... are a little different in 2021 that we. Uh, and not only did we kind of run so long that we uh, are shifting <laughs> our main topic that we had planned, but also we have a new little, uh, a, a little amuse bouche or no, what's a, like an after dinner mint. Yeah. Of the a, a little aperitif. Yes. I like to think of it as a cheese course. <laughs> <laughs> um, Something light and delicious that you can put in your mouth. Yeah. Um, we've been loving kind of the, the mail we got from the cheeser episodes. We thought maybe, um, I mean, we always love mail. I feel like, I don't know if we were talking about um, how we ask questions as a joke, but it's like whenever I ask a question, I'm very earnest. <laughs> but, uh, what was the, uh, what's the most memorable experience you've had on a date revol revolving around food or the food that was ordered or wasn't delivered or what happened? Tell us your best story. <laughs> we want to, we want to have a mailbag every week. We don't get yeah. to do those every week. And so we like them. if you write us in, we'll we'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, let us know. And Trevor, where can they write us for these well, answers? We're on social media. Or no, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> we're on Twitter and Instagram as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars there. Leave us five stars on Apple and Stitcher. Maybe leave us a review. Why don't you? I don't know. <laughs> uh, check out all of the lovely articles we talked about on our website, www.bigfatgaypod.com. Uh, yeah, it's Happy New Year. Um, hey. Maybe you're rolling a nat 20. Maybe you're rolling a nat 1 uh, crit fail. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you roll your dice and there's a little face on it. And it's Michael. <laughs> Hi, Michael. Hi. And he says... <laughs> Look out. It's still twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs>